Thank you. It's a, a privilege to be here today and, and to be able to share together. Uh, we are continuing our series uh, called The Guide to the Good Life, in which we've been talking about the various important aspects required to, to try to successfully live the Christian life. And today we're going to talk about the person behind that as we discuss specifically how to be filled with the Spirit. Now let's just start off by shooting straight from the hip. Few things or concepts are as mysterious or weird people out as much as the Holy Spirit. When you think of the Holy Spirit, you might think of a happy-go-lucky character like Casper the Ghost. You might think of some form of magical substance like in the movie Flubber. Or maybe you even think, when you think of the Holy Spirit, that it, it might be Jesus' own version of pixie dust. But the Holy Spirit is a person. And naturally, it can be a confusing one because he's supernatural. But his primary role is to bring us the uncompromised presence of God. Now, some of you might be tempted to already trail off a little bit today because when I say the Holy Spirit and the presence of God, those are two things that you're just not feeling right now as you come in. Maybe instead you feel distant from God. You feel like there's some kind of constant cosmic abyss that exists between you and him. Or like your life is some kind of snow globe. And at one point God took it and shook it and allowed the pieces of your life to fall wherever they might. All the while keeping a distant eye on your spiritual life from the outside. You don't feel maybe like God's broken through that glass and entered your globe. Or maybe when you lie down on your bed at night, you often picture God up in heaven staring down upon you. And rarely do you picture God actually residing within you. All of that to say, if the idea of the intimate presence of God is a, a foreign one to you, then uh, this message is for you. Now, others of you, if, if I asked you today, hey, do you believe that God's with you? You would probably answer confidently, well, of course I believe that God's with me, but even you may not understand fully just how much he's with you. And what I mean when I say that the Holy Spirit gives us the uncompromised presence of God. Now, as someone who's had the privilege, the privilege of being raised in a Christian home, uh, being involved in the church, attending Bible college, seminary, I will be the first to admit that I am well uh, trained and accustomed to picturing God the Father in his glory and, and Jesus uh, the Son in his victory, but I am prone to forget and neglect God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit and his intimacy. So here's what happens in my relationship with God to be vulnerable with you today. What, what can happen at times is I find myself coming to God and, and wondering, oh, why do you feel so far from me? Why do I feel like there's so many more notches I could go in my relationship with you? What am I missing here? But the truth is, is I'm not missing anything. No, the moment that I've trusted Christ as my Savior, that he was the one who makes me right with God and, and invited him to come and change my life, that moment the Spirit of God came and lived within me, just as he does any believer, the moment we first 
believed. But just because we have the Holy Spirit doesn't mean we know what to do with him. Right? That if, uh, if the Holy Spirit were a birthday present, the Holy Spirit would be that kind of present that a kid like, looks at with sheer excitement, rips it open, looks at it, examines it, and then asks, what do I do with it? Well, what do we do with the Holy Spirit? Uh, what's his role? Uh, how can we be filled with him? How can we be guided by him? The Holy Spirit gives us the uncompromised presence of God. Now, the answer to, to these questions, the fact that the Holy Spirit gives us the uncompromised presence of God, for me, has been one of the most freeing and empowering truths in my walk with Christ recently. And, and, and I hope that it's refreshing and empowering for you today as well. And here's the thing that I've learned. Spoiler alert. I've learned that a relationship with God, void of the Holy Spirit, is a relationship that's just based on knowledge and obedience. And that, my friends, is dry and crusty. A relationship with God, void of the Holy Spirit, is a relationship that's based just on knowledge and obedience. And that is dry and crusty, tiresome and frustrating. Galatians chapter 3 says, actually, that, that Christ came and died so that we could receive his spirit. We are meant to experience the uncompromised presence of God. Now, I said that this whole Holy Spirit person thing could be confusing to us. But could you imagine being the disciples a couple thousand years ago, hearing about it for one of the first times from Jesus? You might think that'd bring more clarity. I doubt it. I think it'd be way more confusing. But if you have your Bibles, John chapter 14, verses 15 to 21 John chapter 14, verses 15 to 21. Bibles, smartphones, go ahead, get there. If not, the text will be up on the screen, of course. But to to set the scene a little bit, these disciples have probably, they're aware of the Holy Spirit. He existed in the Old Testament. But what Jesus is doing here is he's bringing a whole new era, instituting a whole new system, and I kind of I envision the, the disciples uh, sitting around a campfire uh, trying to process what Jesus is saying here. And, and as we read these verses, you could almost feel bad for the disciples as they try to understand Jesus. Kind of like someone trying to figure out common core for the first time. Just, John chapter 14. I get myself in trouble. Verses 15 to 21. Jesus says this, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Uh, Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me. And I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Holy cow. Does that not sound like a riddle? Now, I don't know how the disciples responded to this, this monologue by Jesus, but I know how they didn't respond. 
I know that they didn't look at each other and say, perfect, all of our questions have been answered. Now let's talk about the end times. We've had the advantage of over 2,000 years to digest Jesus' words here. And we know he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And here's a few things that we could take away from Jesus' explanation of what's about to take place in the coming of the Holy Spirit. First, the Holy Spirit empowers believers. The Holy Spirit empowers us. Empowers us to do what? Well, to give some context, uh, Jesus is sitting around, again, the, the imagined bonfire here, talking with his disciples, having a crucial conversation with them the night before he's going to be killed. Just like you'd be having a crucial conversation with your people if you were going to be killed the next day. Jesus' words matter, and he chooses to focus part of this crucial conversation uh, on explaining to the disciples that soon he's going to be going, Jesus is going to be leaving, and someone else is going to come fill his shoes here on earth. Now, uh, the word that Jesus used to describe the someone else is translated in our different English translations that you might have open right in front of you of, of, of advocate or counselor or redeemer or, or comforter. But the Greek word that Jesus uses to describe the somebody else coming to, to fill in for him is essentially the Greek word paraclete. And one of the basic definitions of this word is one who is called alongside to enable. One who is called alongside to enable. Now, why am I sharing all this information with you other than to flex my weak Greek muscles? Here's why. Because I want us to see by definition that the Holy Spirit is our enabler. The Holy Spirit is our enabler. Now, you might think, well, that's great, Chad, but enables us to do what? The Holy Spirit enables us to love and obey God. The Holy Spirit enables us to love and obey God. The Holy Spirit gives us the necessary power and passion to carry out the will of God. As one scholar puts it, it's the Holy Spirit who enables you to do all and to be all that God has saved you to do and to be. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us to do all and to be all that God has saved us to do and to be. It's the person of the Holy Spirit who empowers us to live the life that God's called us to live. You know what's great about that? Because I know I sound really excited about that. You know what's great about that? That means, that means that we don't have the power to love and obey God ourselves. You know what's great about that? If you're here today or you're listening online and you're feeling discouraged, you're, you're feeling like a couple things. One, I stink at following Jesus and being a Christian. And two, this Christian life seems impossible to live out. Well, I want to encourage you today by reminding you of a couple things. One, you do stink at it. And two, it is impossible. Naturally. Naturally. We're, we're supposed to be bad at following Jesus. Uh, several months ago, uh, maybe even longer than that, we went through as a church the Ten Commandments series. And Pastor Rex said that the one thing that the Ten Commandments series teaches us is that we can't keep them. We can't keep the Ten Commandments. What's the one thing that following Jesus teaches us? That we're really bad at it. We're really bad at following him. But we're supposed to be. 
naturally. This last year, my wife and I, although she did most of the work, had our first kid. And uh, a baby boy, awesome, named Trey. And uh, it was very evident in the first couple months of Trey's existence that Trey's mind believed that his body can do things that his body couldn't back up. For all my top, top Gun fans out there, Trey's mind was writing checks his body couldn't cash. And so when Trey would try to uh, reach for things and, and, and grab things, he would, he would end up flailing his arms around, uh, literally often hitting himself right in the face, right in the temple, again and again. And when dad wasn't laughing at him, I was trying to protect the little guy, but, but it, was, it, it was like the harder he tried, the more frustrated he became. And then it dawned on me one long flight on an airplane that this is kind of what it looks like when we live the Christian life. When we try to live the Christian life out of our own giftedness, strengths, and uh, determination, it's, it's like the, the more we try, the more we hurt ourselves spiritually. Think about it. Each week, we go out, all right, at least more often than not, we go out and we try to live our lives in a way that, that God uh, calls us to. And then we come back into church, and a lot of times stress, depressed, discouraged, thinking to ourselves, why am I so bad at this? Why, why, why can't I figure this out? Unless everyone else has this figured out but me. But we're asking these things, and the reality is we're not supposed to be good at it. We're not supposed to be good at living out the Christian life. Instead, we need to depend on the Holy Spirit to empower us, to help us, to do this for us. We need to realize that the Holy Spirit is our spiritual oxygen. He's our spiritual oxygen for the last several years of my grandfather's life. Grandpa was required to take an oxygen tank with him wherever he went. So uh, if grandpa was preaching, which he often did, being the other preacher and pastor in my family line, grandpa knew that the oxygen tank needed to accompany him beside the pulpit. If grandpa was taking a nap, he knew the oxygen tank needed to be beside the bed. If grandpa was taking the dog for a walk to the park, he knew that he, the dog, and the oxygen tank were all going to that park together. Grandpa understood that to neglect his oxygen was to neglect his life, his very breath. And you could be darn sure that if Grandpa ever struggled to collect his breath, the immediate exhortation given to him was, put on your oxygen. Now, some of us have been struggling to breathe spiritually for a while now because we've been neglecting our spiritual oxygen. Days, weeks, months, or worse. But the only way that we could breathe spiritually is to recognize our need for the Holy Spirit and to depend on Him to empower us to live the life that God created us, saved us, and calls us to live. We need to put on our oxygen. If you're here today and you're trying to figure out why you don't have the strength to get through your circumstances, I encourage you to put on your oxygen. If, if it's truly been a while 
since peace has, has ruled your heart, if you're trying to figure out why lust consumes you, pride destroys you, anger maybe controls you, maybe even purpose is leaving you, I encourage you to put on your oxygen because the only way that we could breathe spiritually is to recognize our need for the Holy Spirit and depend on him to empower us to live the life that God calls us to live. Because the Holy Spirit empowers us and giving us the uncompromised presence of God, the Holy Spirit empowers us. And not only does he empower us, not only does he give us the divine power we need, but the Holy Spirit gives us the divine presence we need. The Holy Spirit gives us the full presence of Jesus. Now, back to this crucial conversation Jesus is having with his guys. He's explained to them that, that he's on his way out of here. Uh, there's someone else, the Holy Spirit is gonna come and fill in for him. And that sounds all great and stuff, but these disciples are having a really hard time trying to figure out why in the world Jesus has to leave in the first place. Uh, in sports, this is what we call uh, losing the face of your franchise. It sets you back for years. Not to mention that, that these guys committed their lives to supporting Jesus, just to have Jesus turn around and tell them that he's leaving them. What? What? Here's the problem. The disciples feel like they're totally getting shortchanged. They feel like Jesus is leaving them alone to walk out the remainder of their spiritual journey alone by him leaving and the Holy Spirit coming. And I think that we can, we can actually resonate with that feeling. Here's why. Have you ever, for just a moment, just a moment, wondered how much you would change your relationship with God if Jesus was physically, literally, in the flesh, right in front of you. You ever wondered that? I sure have. Yeah, if Jesus was physically, literally, in the flesh, right in front of me, that's a game changer. What a game changer that would be. Now, to be fair, Jesus was physically and literally here, his uh, challenges to us would, just, would be just as clear as his blessings for us. But to be able to ask Jesus questions rather than Google would be so helpful. It would take our relationship with God from seeming like a silent movie at times to an IMAX 3D experience instantaneously. But that's exactly the misunderstanding the disciples are having concerning the presence or lack of presence of Jesus. Because when it comes to the presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, neither the disciples nor you or I have been shortchanged at all. Not at all. That's why Jesus says in verse 18 to these disciples, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Now, in all likelihood, Jesus is referring to the day of Pentecost. He's referring to the day of Pentecost, when the disciples will see uh, Jesus again through the Holy Spirit. Now, when the disciples actually experience this predicted Holy Spirit, when he actually arrives, it's interesting that the disciples show no signs of disappointment. 
Like, no one's asking for heaven's return policy, and let's send this Holy Spirit thing back. We want the real Jesus, because if anyone knows what it's like to have the real Jesus in the flesh, physical, literal Jesus, it's the disciples. When it comes to doing daily activities with Jesus, eating, sleeping, arguing, Netflix binging, probably not that one, but to be able to hang with the real Jesus, the disciples know what that's like. They know the real deal, but when the new deal, the arrival of the Holy Spirit comes into play, the disciples show no signs of disappointment because they believe that through the Holy Spirit, they are receiving the full presence of Jesus. There's no need for disappointment whatsoever. That means that through the Holy Spirit, we still have the full presence of Jesus. That means that through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is just as much with us now as he was with the disciples 2,000 years ago. Jesus is just as much with us now through the Holy Spirit, just as much as he was with the disciples 2,000 years ago. Now, some of you may have just awoken from your slumber and you're thinking, okay, Chad, I, I heard that. I, I think I get that, but, but let's just be real for a moment. Jesus being like on earth, rubbing shoulders with the disciples for, for three years every day is a little different than his interaction with me today. If that's what you're thinking, you're totally, totally right. Uh, Jesus' spiritual presence now is, is different than his physical presence then. It is, totally. Uh, Jesus' spiritual presence, not, not only is Jesus' Jesus's spiritual presence now different than his physical presence then, but Jesus' spiritual presence now is actually greater than his physical presence then. That's what Jesus means earlier in the same conversation. If you want to look it up later in John chapter 14, he says to the, to the disciples, he, he says, he explains to them, uh, uh, guys, soon believers will be able to do greater things than me, than Jesus himself. Why? Because Jesus knows that he's going to go up to the Father. The Holy Spirit's going to come in full on earth. And soon all believers will have access to all of God all the time. And later in this very same conversation, so if you missed it once, you missed it twice, at least you get it by the third time. Later in this conversation, he, he says to them, uh, he, he tells them that if, essentially if the disciples understood what this whole Holy Spirit arrival thing entailed, that they would actually want him to go away. They would want Jesus to leave. As one author put it, the spirit in us is better than Jesus beside us. The spirit in us is better than Jesus beside us. See, we're, when it comes to the presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, we haven't been shortchanged at all. Not at all. We haven't been downgraded. If anything, we've received a huge upgrade. Our connection with God right this very second, right now, is far more reliable than 4G. We have all the channels, all the data, all the minutes. We could possibly want or need to experience the full presence of God in our lives. We don't have to wonder what would it be like. Instead, we can marvel at what it is like. Through the Holy Spirit, we have the full presence of Jesus. So in giving us the uncompromised presence of God, 
The Holy Spirit empowers us. And the Holy Spirit gives us the full presence of Jesus. Not only does he give us the power we need and the presence we need, but the Holy Spirit also gives us the security we need. The Holy Spirit gives us security in God. Now, to wrap up Jesus' conversation with his disciples, Jesus knows that his guys are scared, trembling, terrified. He knows that. Jesus also knows, because he's, he's Jesus, that soon some of these guys are going to betray him, turn their back on him, throw Jesus to the wolves, act like they had nothing to do with him. He knows that. But Jesus also knows, to um, quote the moving words of the profound theologian Bob Marley, Jesus knows that every little thing is going to be all right. Because Jesus knows that soon, soon the Holy Spirit's going to come. And these disciples are going to experience a power and a presence that they've never experienced before. And with that, receive a whole new security and confidence. I think that's what Jesus is foreshadowing in verse 20. He says, on that day, he's saying this to the disciples who are shaking in their boots right now. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Again, that day that Jesus refers to uh, seems to be a reference to Pentecost. Now, uh, this is the, the second time or so that I've mentioned Pentecost. If you're here today, and honestly, you know more about Bob Marley than you do about the Bible, or you've been reading your Bible, but still, when I say Pentecost, you think it sounds like a grocery store. Pentecost is described in Acts chapter 2. And what it is, is that uh, Jesus dies, and he, and he rises from the dead, as he predicted. And then he ascends into heaven. Don't ask me what that looked like. It must have been quite the show, but it happened. And then the disciples eventually end up in this house together, probably meeting around a, a dinner table. That's what I envision. And Acts chapter 2 says that at that point, uh, it starts to get a little chaotic. Uh, the, the house begins to shake. High winds take place. Stuff's getting knocked and blown around all over the place. And, and even things that look like tongues made up of fire appear in the air. And it becomes overwhelmingly evident that God is back in full swing. And at that very moment, the disciples receive the Holy Spirit that Jesus had been predicting all along. And they experience, the disciples, the power and the presence and the security that comes through the Holy Spirit. Kind of like when um, Thor, the Avenger, finds his hammer. It, from that moment, they had a whole new power to them. And from that moment, the disciples begin to engage in acts of faith that we're still talking about thousands of years later that's recorded in the book of Acts. What was the difference? The difference was before the Holy Spirit. These disciples were timid. They were hesitant. They were doubtful. They were anxious after receiving the Holy Spirit. They were brave. They were courageous. They were daring. They went out and they changed the world and began to spread faith in Christ throughout the globe. And I highly doubt, by the way, at this point in their spiritual journey, that these guys would describe their faith as dry and crusty. <laughs> their security was leading them to huge acts of faith because they experienced the power 
the presence and security that comes from believing in the uncompromised presence of God. Now, this brings up a pretty obvious question for us today. These followers of Jesus were able to experience through the Holy Spirit power, presence, and security that comes from the Holy Spirit and giving us the uncompromised presence of God. But to put it properly, how do we get some of that? (laughs) Good for them. How do we get that? How could we experience the power and the presence and the security that comes from the Holy Spirit? To raise the question um, implied in today's, uh, the title of the message today, how can we be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, first, we need to pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us. Pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us. We need to pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us in the mundane things and the spiritual things of life. Driving in our cars, daydreaming in meetings, engaged in conversations, being with the family, especially that. We need to pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us. Knowing that when he does, when we do ask God to give us his spirit and to fill us with the spirit that he'll answer us. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 says this. If, the, if you then, though you are evil, thank you for the reminder, but it is true. Though you are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So we know if we ask uh, that, that Jesus responds to us. Now, now some of us today uh, might actually ask for the Holy Spirit to fill us for the very first time or, or to, for us to receive this Holy Spirit for the very first time. What a prayer that would be. And by the way, God's answer is a resounding absolutely. Now, there is though a difference between praying to ask for the Holy Spirit to, to come into you for the very first time, to, to, to live within you and to begin to change you, and to, uh, to seek for the Holy Spirit to guide you uh, consistently throughout your daily life, to be filled with him. There's a difference there. And what I've learned, you learn a lot of what to do from what not to do, right? What I've learned is is that prayer isn't the only thing we need to do when it comes to being filled with the Holy Spirit. I was speaking with a a woman at um, Grace Fellowship Half Moon several months ago following one of our services there. Shout out to Grace Half Moon. And, and following one of the services, I was speaking with this woman in the sanctuary. And of course, I, I've been given permission to share this story today. And we were actually talking about uh, the Holy Spirit. And I shared with her that in reflection of this passage that we're talking about today, I've actually spent quite a bit of time this last year praying for the Holy Spirit to fill me. And, and this woman, who is honestly one of the most sweet, kind, and gentle women you will ever meet, She says to me candidly, well, pastor, you could pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you all you want, but at some point, you got to put your money where your mouth is. At that moment, I realized I was no longer the one giving the pastoral counseling. She continues, (laughs) pastor, there's days where I want to go home and bury myself on the couch and watch television until I fall asleep. But I know that I need to sometimes turn off the TV 
and go open up God's word and allow myself to think about spiritual things. There's other times, Pastor, when I'm driving in the car, and, and rather than just listen to uh, music or, or talk radio, I need to shut it off and, and just spend a few minutes in prayer. And it's not that any of these things that I would naturally prefer to be doing are wrong. It's just that I need to give the Spirit the chance to speak to me. I'm glad that we're in this faith journey together as a church because this pastor needed to hear that word. And the challenge from this kind and and honest woman actually matches up with Paul's challenge to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Paul says to the church, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Well, how do you get drunk? Ask nobody ever. Well, you get drunk by drinking alcohol. Parents are getting nervous. Don't worry, I'm stopping there. Land in the plane. But in the same way, we get filled by the Spirit by drinking of the Spirit, by taking in the Spirit, by, uh, by engaging in our spiritual disciplines, by giving God the time and opportunity for His Spirit to speak to us so we can be filled by the Spirit, by praying for the Spirit to fill us. And by drinking of the Spirit. We can be filled by the Holy Spirit by drinking and praying. That's a combo you never thought you'd hear promoted today as you came into church, did you? Pray and drink. Pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you. And drink of the Spirit. The late and very popular theologian, A.W. Tozer, said... Every person is as close to God as he or she wants to be. Every person is as close to God as he or she wants to be. And that's because through the Holy Spirit, God's as close to you as he can be. He is. You have his uncompromised presence. So what gets in the way of us experiencing that? So yeah, pray for the Spirit to fill us, drink of the Spirit. But, but why don't we? What gets in the way? I think we could be here today listing a lot of reasons. Here's two. Here's two primary barriers and being filled with the Holy Spirit that I've experienced firsthand. One, comfort. Comfort. I know for me, I often fall into the trap of expecting the Holy Spirit to speak to me in ways that I'm comfortable with as I continue to live out my daily life, go through my normal routine. But what if the Holy Spirit wanted to break up that routine? What if the Holy Spirit wanted or needed to make me uncomfortable? What if he moved me to at least try and and initiate a, a meaningful conversation with the person I'm standing next to in line at Sam's Club? rather than just think about the killer hot dog combo they have available? What if he uh, convicted you to step out of an unhealthy relationship that you're in? Or, or prompted you to give more money than you originally planned? Oh, I hate that one. 
My wife loves it. What if he uh, uh, kind of dared you, if you will, to take that, that step of faith to take the opportunity and pray for the colleague or friend that you have on their turf outside of the church? What if he asked you, the Holy Spirit, what if he asked you to become uncomfortable? Now, I, I think one of the reasons, I know one of the reasons that we miss what the Holy Spirit has to say to us is because we're scared of what he might say to us. And to be clear, the Holy Spirit will never ask you to violate the word of God. He will never ask you to do anything that contradicts the character and priorities of God. But he might and very likely will ask us to become uncomfortable, to step out of our comfort zones. But as Francis Chan says in his book, Forgotten God, why would we need to experience the comforter if our lives are already comfortable? Let's pray that comfort doesn't rob us from experiencing one of the best feelings in the world. Spirit of God at work through us. So comfort, it's a big barrier, right? To being filled with the Holy Spirit. Secondly, noise. Man, our lives are noisy. Pings, tings, cell phone alerts, emails, texts, latest updates on social media activities. By the way, that's all noise just coming from a phone or a tablet. Not to mention the noise of life itself, which is plenty loud. And here's what I've learned. I've spent too much time trying to reinvent ways to spend time with God without having to hit pause or stop on other things. And what often ends up happening is I come crawling back to Jesus, asking him to recharge me before I shut down spiritually. And he always does. He always recharges me. But you know what? We don't have to wait till we're dead spiritually to be recharged by the spirit of God. Instead, rather than fit God into our schedule, we could prioritize him in our schedule. And we could value the moments each day where we shut off the noise rather than allow ourselves to be shut down spiritually. Man, our lives are noisy. Let's pray that we give the Spirit the chance to speak to us and put ourselves in a position to hear them and shut off the noise rather than shut down ourselves spiritually. So if necessary, today, let's pray. Let's pray and ask God for forgiveness for those of us who've been trying to live out the Christian lives ourselves. Let's embrace the presence that he brings us in giving us the full presence of God. And let's ask him to give us a new security, a new confidence 
that leads us to engage in daring acts of faith once again or maybe to begin for the very first time because we trust in the power and presence in us. The Holy Spirit brings us the uncompromised presence of God. What would it be like if God was fully and literally here? Thanks to the Holy Spirit, he already is. So let's press into him to be filled by him. Let's pray. Lord, as the song chorus goes, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Help us to be filled with your uncompromising presence through your Holy Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, help us, God, to keep in step with the Spirit. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your uncompromised presence. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.